Well, good morning, everyone. Let me open us with a word of prayer, and then I'm going to do a little bit of reviewing of 2 Peter, since it keeps being weeks in between teachings, and then we'll dive into the material, and, and we'll go from there. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here in Faith Builders, and Lord, I thank you that we get to spend extended time praying for one another every week. Lord, think in my heart of hearts, I believe that's the greatest part of this Sunday school class. It's not my teaching, but it's the fact that we can get together and bear one another's burdens through prayer. And Lord, even this morning, we've lifted up each other's prayers and we've shared prayer requests, but Lord, we also think of our brothers and sisters in West Africa who are hurting, who are under attack, who are under threat of physical harm and in many cases, threats even that could lead to death. We just pray that you protect them, keep them safe. Lord, you are stronger than our adversary. You are more powerful than our enemy. And as your kingdom advances, we just pray that you'll work your perfect will in West Africa. And Lord, as we open up Second Peter today, I pray that you'll remind our hearts of the things that we've already begun to cover and that you'll prepare our hearts to be encouraged by the promises of your word that we'll see even today. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we have been doing, we're really at the very beginning of our study, and the first four verses of Second Peter in chapter 1 really are the foundation of the entire book. So as we introduced this quite some time ago, and we really are going to, we're spending a little more time here than perhaps I normally do, because so much of what follows is dependent upon this, and I had come up way back when, with a little three-part outline that we're continuing on, which is really the foundation of Second Peter. And the first point is the messenger of God. The second point is the work of God. And the third point is the word of God. And we've gotten to the second point, but that's where we're sort of camped out. So let's, as a reminder of where we are, the messenger of God, the spokesperson, is the Apostle Peter. In verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And there's humility and authority all wrapped up in those two titles. A bondservant is just the, the traditional Greek word for a slave, someone that has to do their master's bidding. And that's the humility as Peter's saying, look, I'm just a servant. This isn't me. I'm the servant of the master. But the authority comes from his status as an apostle. In its simplest terms, those were the sent ones, but these were, of course, the unique men that Jesus pulled from amongst his disciples and gave specific authority for the foundation of the church. In fact, these were the men that God used to teach the early church. These are the men that God used to get Scripture written by and large, they or their closest followers. And these are the men that in the early church, everyone gathered around to listen to the apostles' teaching. So Peter is humble. I'm just a slave as any other slave. This isn't my doing. But he's also conveying authority that I am conveying to you the message of the king. So the messenger of God was the shortest point. He's not speaking just from himself. He's speaking the very words of God and we started covering the work of God, which actually runs through verses 2, 3, and 4. And we've begun this, and I'll review that, and, and we're going to be continuing it, and we're not even going to finish it today. And this was the part that even when I first studied, I did not recognize the depth of what's being conveyed over and over again as far as what God did. 
The second part of verse 1, to those who have received a faith of the same kind of ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith, the idea is they did not go out and find this. It was a gift to them. Now we believe this is really the same audience as the audience of 1 Peter from a specific part of Asia near modern-day Turkey, but that's not his ultimate point. His point is that they have received a faith. In other words, they did not come to this out of their own volition, so to speak, although certainly their wills were drawn to it. They were given this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he's not obviating that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. What must I do to be saved? Believe. But he's acknowledging that even that is a gift from the Lord. God did the work in the hearts. John 6, He's the one that drew them. By grace they've been saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Not of yourself, but it's a gift of God. And the faith they received was the same kind of ours. And there's differing ideas as to whether that's talking about Jews versus Gentiles. But I think the better understanding from my study is that Peter is saying, yes, I'm an apostle and we have faith, but your faith is the same as ours. What Jesus did for us, he did for you. Our belief is the same as your belief. Our salvation is your salvation. This would have been encouraging to them because apostles were the powerhouses, the titans. Those theoretically on a pedestal beyond perhaps even where they should have been. But he's saying, look, you received what we received. And he explained how they received it by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is really what we were talking about last time. Righteousness in that context refers to God's judicial function, his justice, his proper evaluation of sin and guilt. And it's just a recognition that God solved the greatest problem we have. There's none righteous, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even our righteousness are like a filthy garment according to Isaiah. All these verses that I covered in a little more detail, I'm just briefly overviewing it. But we deserve death because the wages of sin is death. We are sinners, all of us, and yet, because the righteousness of Jesus was imputed, that was a theological term I used, because it was given to us, it was placed on our account, we have forgiveness before the Lord. The gift that we have of faith is also this gift of the righteousness of Christ. I won't read it again today, but I read last time Romans 3, 21 to 26, which explains it well in Philippians 3, 8 to 9. We don't have a righteousness based on our behavior. We have a righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So when God looks at us, He doesn't see us in our sin. He sees us clothed in the righteousness of God. That's very hard to fathom. Because we understand from what Pastor Steve was teaching today, if you heard his teaching, if you listened to it, you identified and you go, yeah, that's me. Every time I look in the mirror, every morning when I wake up, every time I'm struggling with sin, 
I see how far I still am from God's glory and his holiness. Be holy as I am holy, and yet I can look in the mirror. We all can and realize I'm not there. The encouragement we have is that we are clean, we are cleansed. God does care about our obedience, but he's already given us the righteousness of Jesus. So that is sort of a quick summary of what we've covered over several weeks so far. But again, we're in a point talking about the work of God because it's so foundational. And just as a reminder, this whole book is going to believers who were being buffeted by error. There were false teachers. There were false prophets. I identify so quickly because we live in the exact same type of day where people claiming to be teachers of truth are really just fallen... They're ministers of Satan dressed up to look a different way. So Peter's making clear everything we have is from God. It's because of his work. And that's what gives us hope. So as we continue on, we're still in the same idea of the works of God. We come to verse 2. And Peter says this, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Again, we come to these things and it sounds similar to other greetings in other places, and it is, and yet there aren't any throwaway words in Scripture. Sometimes we speak and we don't really mean every word, but when the Spirit of God was moving in Peter to write these things down, every word matters. And this, in essence, is a prayer, even as part of the introduction. What does he want multiplied in them? He says, grace and peace. These are familiar words, and they're common words, but they're powerful words. Grace is just God's unmerited favor that he gives to sinners like us. Any of you, if I ask you, What is the wages of sin? It's death, which means we deserve death because we're sinners, every one of us. But God has given us His grace, His unmerited favor. And God has already given us peace, and peace is a comprehensive term. But the greatest thing we've been given is peace with God. We were enemies of God, and He's made us His children. He's given us peace with Him. In addition to that, he's given us the ability to have peace in the ongoing trials of life available to us at any time. Familiar words, but I come back to it a lot in my own personal life. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Peter is just beginning in... And he's acknowledging you already have grace, you already have peace, you've already received these, but I'm praying that those will be multiplied to you, that those will be a reality to you for your daily walk with the Lord. What he understands is that even though we've already been given our salvation, even though we already have the righteousness of Christ, as long as we walk around in these physical bodies, we have struggles and we need God's grace. I already mentioned about peace, which we can appropriate by prayer 
But the scriptures make it clear. It's the same thing of grace. Hebrews 4, 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Peter's really beginning his letter with something along those lines, those ideas of thoughts. I want you to have that peace that surpasses all comprehension because you're under assault. You're under attack. And false prophets and false teachers are trying to deceive you and destroy you. And I want you to have grace and peace. I want those to abound in you so that you can persevere and keep going. But it's interesting, and this really ties into our last point. One of the things that's going to be a challenge is I'm going to go through and teach these four verses showing the works of God, and then I'm going to come back and recover the same ground to talk about the Word of God. But what you see is those go hand in hand. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter's really showing us how we have these things, even as he's praying that they'll be multiplied for those he's originally writing to. This isn't some sentimental wish. He understands that to avail ourselves of the grace and peace, to have it multiplied in us, it's always got to come through the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Jesus. And we understand true knowledge of God and of Jesus only comes in our time from one place, which is the Word of God. We don't manufacture it by certain feelings or certain emotions. We have the objective truth that God's revealed to us in the 66 books of the Bible, and we have to grow in that. We have to understand and believe and trust in the full knowledge of God. This isn't just knowing more facts. This is internalizing that information. This is letting that information guide our steps on a daily basis. We must know as fully as possible, as completely as possible, what the Scriptures say about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now again, none of this can occur apart from Jesus Christ. It's interesting, lots of other religions mention Jesus. Islam reveres Him as a prophet. Jehovah's Witnesses have their own views. Mormons have their views. But the reality is, if you don't get Jesus right, you don't get the Father right. John eight nineteen. So they were saying to him, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. This is where salvation comes from. John seventeen three. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So there's a sense where, of course, we had to have that basic knowledge to come to faith, but then we have to grow in that knowledge, and that's what Peter is asking for the believers, that this will be multiplied, that you'll grow in your knowledge of the Lord, because that's the way you get more grace and more peace to enable you to navigate all the trials in front of you and to discern truth from error. Belief Peter is asking for these believers to have what Paul was referencing in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11. Paul says this, More than that, I count all things to be law in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Paul was talking about a comprehensive knowledge, an objective knowledge, but an objective knowledge that was lived out in his life, a deep and abiding understanding of who Jesus is and what he requires. So, with that, and again, we're going to come back to this emphasis on the Word of God because you've already seen it over and over and over again. But the reality is, Peter understands for all of us to grow in grace and peace, to experience that even in the midst of the turmoils of life requires that we know God well, that we know Him deeply, and that comes from knowing His Word. There'll be many times where I'm tempted to go on side roads, and this is one of those. I'm going to resist that temptation. But I say it over and over again, Lakeside is unique and you should cherish that because we really do one thing primarily well, which is teach the Word of God. That We don't do everything. We don't have the biggest facilities. We don't have the biggest anything, but God has given us and Pastor Steve, one of the best Bible teachers that is alive, and he's given us many other elders who rightly handle the Word of Truth And whether you experience it in your heart, that's what you need more than anything else. At times we feel like we need other things, but really what we need is to know Jesus Christ, to know the Lord more and more. And we come to verse 3, and God makes it clear to us through the words of Peter that we have the ability to appropriate anything we need and we have the means of appropriating anything we need for this task. Verse 3 is one of the great promises of all of Scripture. It's one of the great promises to a believer. It's one of the things that drew me to this book. Verse 3, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. I think you could write a book on that verse. There's so much truth contained in that. But it's one of the great promises we have in scripture that you can do everything God called you to do. It's a powerful promise. It's a powerful verse. And as I was preparing yesterday and I was thinking, I thought if I could impress upon all of us one truth in the difficult days in which we live that you would cling to and believe with all your heart, if I could impress you to cling to to verse 3, it'd be successful. It'd be good. It'd be helpful. Because verse 3 is showing us again the work of God, the work of God, the work of God but it's showing how that work helps us. 
He says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us. This is God at work. This isn't something that we figured out. This is, again, something that we came up with. His divine power has granted it to us. We're going to get into what it's granted us. But understand, this is really showing us how we get more of the grace and the peace. And it's showing us the ongoing work of the Lord. We're being called to action, but we're being called to action because God's made the action possible. Second Peter is going to tell us a lot of truth. It's going to tell us a lot of things that we need to put into practice. It's going to have warnings and admonitions, but everything it's calling us to do, we're being promised in verse 3 that we can do it. That sitting here today, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you already have all you need. You have to appropriate it. You have to study it. You have to live it. But you have everything that you need already. God has already used His power to give His children the ability to do all He calls them to do. Paul, again, the Bible is so complimentary. Paul talks about God working in us. Ephesians 3.20 Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. God is at work in us. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Peter, out of the gate is encouraging all of those who will see and understand and study his letter that God has given us what we need. By his divine power, he's granted to us most of what we need. No, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Again, my words can't do justice to the full breadth of this. But the word is emphatic, the word order in the Greek. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but they make it clear by the word order, there's emphasis. Everything really means everything. God has given to each one of us all we need for life and godliness. And if you think about everything you do, that covers everything. Your life and your godliness. Any aspect of how you are to live your life? Anything you need to be holy as God is holy? Anything you need to be an imitator of Jesus? You already have it. Now, we'll circle back to this truth again. I'm going to come back to it next week even more. But this is profound. I'm not a prophet. I'm just one of many of your elders, with my own experiences, as do we all. But I've said before, it's not a secret, this is the fourth church Debbie and I have belonged to. The first church called Shadow Mountain, where I was saved. Then we moved to Fresno, and we're part of an evangelical free church. Then spent seven years at Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur's the pastor. And now we've been here for over 15 years. And this is the only place I've been a pastor. Everywhere else, I was just a church member. But if you ask me, 
and I look on my life in the church from the time I was saved in 1993, I think this verse highlights a key source of the problems I've seen in the American church since I've been saved. And these aren't haphazard American churches. These are churches that believe the Bible. What's the key source of the problem? I don't think Christians truly believe what God has said in verses like this. And they're looking elsewhere for the solution to their problems instead of looking to the Word of God. I'm going to finish this in a little bit of a cursory way. And like I said, I'm going to come back to this over and over because it's near and dear to my heart. But the reality is we have all we need and we don't need to go looking elsewhere. And yet we do. So let me go through this again. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So again, this is focusing on God and His work. And it's also focusing, as we'll see in point three, on the Word of God. This true knowledge of Him who called us. It's God at work. God the one who's doing. God the one who's drawing us. He called us by His own glory and excellence. In other words, as Pastor Steve was talking about in the context of when we came to that moment where we realized, uh uh-oh, before a holy God. And we were mortified and we were heartbroken. What happened at that moment is unlike Judas, who went out and hung himself, at that moment we were attracted to Jesus because we realized He made a way. Yes, I'm all those things, but he loved me anyway, and he died in my place on the cross. We saw his glory and his excellence and what he would do for sinners like us, and we were drawn to it. God called us to it. John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So God's power is at work. He's equipped us with everything, and it's part and parcel of the fact that He called us through the knowledge of who God is, who Jesus is, and we saw, even at that moment of our salvation, the glory and excellence of Jesus. And again, Peter has painted this beautiful picture. God has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, but it's not out there, it's in His Word. It's why the church is so important. It's why having churches with good teachers like Pastor Steve is so important. Again, you'll hear a common theme over and over, and I don't want to be a soapbox. But over and over again, I've seen Christians think the Bible doesn't address my problem. Well, on those issues it deals with, that's pretty good. But, but I need the world of psychology. I need the secular sciences. I need all these extra things over here because the Bible only goes so far. It's just not true. It's not true. Everything pertaining to life and godliness 
is here in front of us at our disposal. And when we recognize that the God who is at work also gave us His Spirit to appropriate and apply His Word, it's not hard to understand how His divine power has granted to us. It's our present possession. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Maybe sometime I'll mention, but before I came to Lakeside, I didn't get one job because I said what I just said. And I wouldn't back away from it. So let me encourage you. Understand whatever struggles you're going through, whatever challenges you have, whatever hurdles you face as we walk through this book, we're going to learn and we're going to grow and there's a lot of truth here and there are more promises. And we're going to see how to reject error and how to discern the truth from falsehood. But understand what you have from the Lord. His divine power has granted to you everything you need for life and godliness. And we can praise Him for His works. Please join me as I close our time today in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, each one of us struggles at times to rest in your promises. Lord, for some of us, it's because we have such a strong sense of I'll take care of myself that when we should avail ourselves of your power, we just strengthen up our flesh and decide we're going to fix it. Lord, forgive us. And for others of us at times, Lord, we are swayed by the constant song of this world, even parroted by some Christians that says, look, the Bible only goes so far. We need something else. We need something more. Forgive us, Lord, when we think that way. Lord, the truths of your word are powerful. And it's clear you've already given us everything. Lord, you've saved us by your grace. You've given us your grace and your peace and you desire for it to abound even more in our lives. And Lord, in the midst of all the struggles we have, you've already given us by your divine power everything that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us rest in that. Help us cling to these truths. And as we study over the next weeks and months, Second Peter, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just learn more information, but that every day we would be those who don't just hear the word, but, Lord, that we would be doers of your word. And we ask all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all, and I look forward to seeing you next week.